You're listening to SBS News. It was a Saturday, 17th of December. It got to about quarter past one and I thought, okay, I should go in and see my dad. And he had his last two breaths and I was there with him and it was traumatising. Yes, I knew my dad was was dying, but I kind of took it for granted, thinking, no, no, he'll, he'll come around. He always did. It's the biggest, most wonderful part of being a WOG. <laughs> the beautiful thing about the way we operate is that we all have somewhere to go. Everyone, at some point or another, will lose someone or something they love. And yet grief is still seen as a taboo, including in our dominant Western culture. So how do different cultures hold space for grief? And are some better equipped than others? And how can we think about grief beyond the concept of death, looking at other profoundly life-changing forms of loss? I'm Katrina Stirrett, and this is the first episode of Living Loss. In this episode, we explore the way in which multicultural Australia is a diverse landscape for navigating and holding space for grief. Kelly Renee is a Maori woman who has been living in Australia for 32 years after migrating when she was just five years old. She lost her father to prostate cancer in December last year, describing it as her most significant loss yet. It was a Saturday, 17th of December, and I was, I let people just come and go and, you know, spend time with my dad. And I hadn't been in all day. It got to about quarter past one and I thought, okay, I should go in and and see my dad. And then uh, I literally had him for five minutes and it was just myself, dad, my husband, my mother-in-law was in there and he had his last two breaths and I was there with him and it was traumatising. Yes, I knew my dad was was dying, but I kind of took it for granted, thinking he'll come around. He always did. It's probably the first big loss I've had. I mean, I've experienced grief with grandparents, but when it's your parent, it's a totally different different ball game. Kelly feels as though her Maori culture is a space to hold her grief. She explains how in Maori culture, loved ones die at home rather than in hospitals or aged care homes. This is an important part of the grieving process as it allows the family and wider community to have their personal moment to say goodbye. Family, like my sisters and I, my mother, my brothers, um, we don't leave his side um, at all. The reason behind that is we need to be by them to guide them into their next journey and to never leave them alone. For us, it's really important that they have somebody with them the whole entire time. Um, and so the the bereaving family, we don't do anything other than grieve for those three days. Marianne Bowdler is a grief counsellor and clinical services manager at Griefline. She says one of the first steps in the grieving and counselling process is to debunk some of the myths that surround grief. One of the interesting things that comes up is how well-versed we are in popular culture in the idea that we have the five phases of grief. I think it's um, 
denial, anger, bargaining, acceptance. I think there's something else in there. So it comes as a big surprise to mourners to learn that that is not a model for grief. Uh, It was a model for people in palliative care who were coming to terms with the fact that their illness was terminal. So the first thing to do is a little bit of unlearning. And because people are worried where they are in the stages and the stages, they're not going through them correctly. They're not going through them in the correct order. So we say, okay, just put all of that to one side. And and I think what we see, especially in the first six months, is this complete uh, lack of belief that this has happened. Ms Bowdler says the bereaved is encouraged to then slowly come to accept the loss. But she acknowledges this can be a longer process for some. Ms Bowdler describes her own emotional disconnect in accepting her brother's death, recalling an experience on her mother's birthday where she began to feel frustrated at her brother's absence, momentarily forgetting he had died. Very interesting for me as a, as a grief counsellor because I know that that happens. But this was like from March to December, what's that, nine months? I'm like, ooh, it's nine months and I still haven't really, at a deeper level, I haven't accepted the reality of the loss. I know he died. I know he died cognitively. I went to the funeral. I participated in those rituals. But at some other level, I don't know what we'd call that, an emotional level, there's this sort of we can hold the two things at the same time. Cognitively, I know he died. Emotionally, I can't accept that. Rosemary Wanganeen is a proud Ghana and Waringu Aboriginal woman and a self-proclaimed griefologist who established the Healing Centre for Griefology 30 years ago. It was Rosemary's own personal trauma under racist policies and procedures which led to her deep understanding of grief, which she now shares with other Aboriginal and non-Indigenous Australians. Born in 1955, Rosemary grew up in a mission with her parents and six other siblings before the family moved to the white country town of Clare in South Australia. I was then born into um, a policy called the Assimilation Policy, um, a policy where we had to deny our Aboriginality. Now we're in Clare, we have to go to church, we have to dress a very different way, go into school, experience racism, and on point peers, no family violence or alcohol at all is, is my memory. Move to Clare now as family violence and alcohol and fear for, for mum and, and all the children. Rosemary's mother sadly died giving birth to her last child, leaving her and her siblings behind. The six eldest children were taken into welfare, where Rosemary says she experienced horrific violations. One teacher at seven years old told me I was a dummy, then 12 years old in the welfare, a teacher who told us that Aboriginal people were savages, brought in a lot of shame for my Aboriginality and a lot of anger towards my ancestors. I was just raising myself pretty much and that's how I ended up pregnant and, and married. And then just uh, from unresolved childhood family violence took me into adult family violence, particularly alcohol fueled family violence. And so all my 20s, um, you know, family violence, alcohol, and just really, when I look back on it, um, wandering around aimlessly. It wasn't until she found herself in a women's shelter at age 28 when Rosemary embarked on her grief journey. 
She developed seven phases of integrated loss and grief, which we will explore more closely in our third episode. Rosemary explains how her concept of grief forgiveness is one that emerged from lived experience. I had to do all of that research to come out the other end and having that really deep understanding of grief forgiveness, not not religious forgiveness, grief forgiveness um, through griefology enables a person to go through a deep grieving process to come out up the other end to forgive, um, whereas religious forgiveness, because um, they became a part of our story as Aboriginal people, you know, they talk about um, forgiveness, to forgive and forget and just move on. That doesn't sustain, that doesn't do any healing whatsoever. Uh, now, I, now I know the power in the grieving process to be able to forgive, to sustain me in, in thriving. Christopher Hall is the CEO of Grief Australia and says you can't separate an individual's culture from their grief. People often draw upon their culture, habits and routines in the process of grieving. At the same time, trauma can also be intersected with an individual's culture. One of the things that culture allows us to do and assists us in the process of making meaning of the loss, that we come together with people who share similar values, similar habits, and that can be uh, um, incredibly important. And again, when we talk about questions of a kind of culture, and particularly um, First Nations uh, people, you can't talk about that without understanding the intersection between trauma and grief, um, that these are these are often accompany each other. And so often when we're talking about grief or bereavement support, we're also talking about supporting people through trauma, which again is a whole other set of kind of clinical skills. Culture can often serve as a space people return to during their grieving process. We also see sometimes that people, um, particularly where, when they're experiencing uh, loss, will draw upon perhaps um, cultural traditions and practices that they may have relinquished. And so they they actually may find um, this crisis as an opportunity to reconnect with some of that history and culture and tradition um, and, and to kind of create their own way through um, navigating grief. For Xanthi, whose name has been changed to a pseudonym, finding solace among her extended Italian family was vital during her grief. It's the biggest thing of my life, the biggest, most wonderful part of being a wog. <laughs> You know, I think they've made a big joke of that word. It still hurts in some contexts, but, you know, it, it's just a fantastic part of being not quite Australian. The beautiful thing about the way we operate is that we all have somewhere to go. This is why the loss of her brother was compounded during the isolation of COVID-19. Xanthi says she struggled tremendously without that family presence during such a difficult time, relying on phone calls for emotional support. I did most of my grieving alone and then there'd be some expression that seemed out of context and unrealistic or unexpected. How can I put it? They didn't see my everyday stuff and what I went through. And the other thing was I wasn't able really to see my brother in those days. Plenty of phone calls, daily phone calls, plenty of, of that, but I didn't contact my brother very much or anything just because he was sick, so he didn't 
want lot of contact, you know. This sense of community is something Kelly was lucky enough to rely on during the grief following the death of her father. She says she feels so grateful that her Maori culture carves out a space for grief. Being brought together again for a sad moment, albeit it really honed in on how special my connection is to my family is and how special my culture is. Um, my dad was big on our culture and maintaining it, even though we'd been living in Australia for 32 years or something. And so I really definitely think that being able to, and some people will probably think this is a bit morbid, sleep next to my my dad, even though he's in a coffin, um, was life-changing for me in the, in the point where I could say my goodbyes properly. In our next episode, we explore some of the cultural taboos that still exist around grief and how different cultures navigate grief in unique and complex ways. Katrina Stirrett, SBS News.